Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Yes. Yeah. Quiz. That's right. And complain about the weather. Golly, it's too Always. hot here for the fall. It's too hot. I'm ready for the fall. I'm ready for spooky season weather. Mm-hmm. I want to get oh, the sweater out. It. Mm-hmm. I want to put away my shorts. Yeah. <laughs> the one pair I own. <laughs> I would love to retire it. And they're terry cloth, so I really only wear them to bed. So I could just leave them out. Really ready to wash my shorts. <laughs> really ready to wash my one pair of shorts. I only wash them in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wash my clothes entirely too often. Yeah. I, I was need watching. To wash them less. I was watching. Queer Eye and Tan France was talking mm-hmm. about how you should only wash your jeans like once a month, max, because it'll fuck with the denim. And Easy, I was like, because I don't wear jeans. <laughs> and then what he about gave leggings. A- yeah. Oh, fair enough. And then he was like, if your jeans are getting a little funky, but it's not time to wash them, put them in the freezer overnight. And I was like, Tan, maybe these are not tips to give. <laughs> yeah, Tan, I've heard you. that before. Mm, dial it in. Mm. Anyway, who are we? So oh, not uh- Tan France. I'm Kenyon, and I wash my clothes too often. Humble brag. I'm Lucy, and I have a wonderful excuse not to do laundry at this time in my life. Can't lift that that basket, babe. I'm yeah. He doesn't want me going downstairs to the basement where the litter boxes are. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm Amanda, and I'm just gonna tell my husband I'm pregnant so that I also can't go to the basement where the litter box and the laundry is. It's really nice. I'll just be pregnant for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yep. You'll be one of those still cooking. One yep. of those Maury, those ladies on Dr. Phil. Sure. Yeah, where they're like, they've been pregnant for like 15 months. But yep. I have a Doppler. <laughs> I have no idea what Doppler means, but that's fine. We can move on. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, none of this is either Relevant. here nor there. <laughs> We're so <but> tired. <laughs> we have a very special gals pick this week brought to you by me. Gal oh. pick. I forced this one. I thought it would be cute. Mm -hmm. And I like it. Great. (laughs) And I selected the topic of the old switcheroo. With no follow-up details. Anything involving things being switched out. Great, because then I followed the directions perfectly. You know, you think one thing and whoop, switch, it's the other thing. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. I reached a little bit and I'm not sorry about it because what the fuck else would I do? Background and psych on. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to me for Mm. this perfect topic. (laughs) I really do love my story today. It's sad, but I love it. Yeah. I kind of love where I went today. We nailed it. We all went where our hearts called us to. We Mm -hmm. follow, we listened to our heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for the old switcheroo? So, I feel like this is actually perfect for the season because as this episode comes out we're like we'd be like a week away from halloween Mm -hmm. and so this will be kind of a fun tutorial if you're hosting 
maybe a little Halloween shindig, then you could present a cocktail like this. Because this week's episode got me thinking about those fancy cocktails that like bartenders in leather suspenders make when you add a certain <laughs> ingredient and the cocktail completely changes color. Oh, oh like um, pea blossom or whatever. Precisely. We're going to get to it. Oh. So I, I wanted to talk about that and then go over a cocktail recipe so you can like make an old switcheroo happen right before your eyes like magic. Mm. The old switcheroo is a great name for a cocktail. And I did find one sort of on Facebook that didn't have a recipe and it was like cantaloupe based. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Gross. So this isn't called the old switcheroo, but you could certainly play with ingredients that include that butterfly pea flower and create your own old mm-hmm. switcheroo cocktail. Mm-hmm. But I looked into this and so Lucy nailed it that it's called butterfly pea flower. And basically what you can do is steep it into a syrup and the syrup on its own is this really beautiful, like deep, rich kind of indigo blue. Mm. But then if you introduce something acidic, like say lemon, it alters the pH level of the pea flower and changes it from this deep, like darker than my hair indigo blue to like a fuchsia pink. Wow. It's right beautiful. before your eyes. It's super freaking cool. It so, reminds me of when my mom does the cabbage at PFC. Yep. Mm-hmm. What yep. does she do? She put you put vinegar on the on the steamed cabbage and turns it bright purple or something. Yeah, it's super cool. Mm-hmm. But if you don't feel like seeking out or even making your own like steeped butterfly pea flower, there's this amazing gin called Empress 1908. And it's very beautiful. It's that it uses, it's like infused with that butterfly pea flower. And so it's that brilliant indigo blue just on its own in the bottle. Dang. I actually think Lisa Vanderpump uses these in the big, the, the, not the big pinky. What was the cocktail I had at, in Vegas? There's like a big purple gin and tonic. Yeah. That makes sense. I think she uses this. So because tonic itself has enough acidity that like if you start with, your ice, and then you put in your gin. As you pour in the tonic, it's going to alter it from that indigo to like purple. And then if you squeeze in additional citrus, it could turn pink. How cool. How fucking cool is that? So you can easily just make a gin and tonic with that Empress 1908. They also recommend a really beautiful cocktail, which is their twist on a French 75. So they talk about how the Empress 1908 gin, it's not just gimmicky like blue curacao like it's Mm -hmm. actually a very tasty spirit Mm -hmm. it drinks like a london dry gin but it just has a little bit of a floral element to it from that butterfly pea flower but it's like it's a delicate gin so it works really well in a drink like a french 75 which is essentially just lemon and bubbles and like a little bit of liquor so basically instead of putting in an additional liquor, you would just use this Empress 1908 gin, top it off with bubbles, add a little bit of lemon or lemonade, and then you're going to go, you're going to watch it as you add the lemon, go from this like kind of light blue into this really beautiful like lavender purple right before your eyes. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So those are my recommendations. If you want to find some elevated, but also like kind of cool, color-changing cocktail elements, 
get that Empress 1908 gin. I'm definitely going to go get it because it's just gorgeous and I want it on my bar. I need to get back into making myself cocktails. Yeah. I mean, we cocktail. have so much booze in this house and you we do have never a- drink it. <laughs> what you I want to like get? two wet carts. We have two huge bars of booze and it, it's all like gathering dust. Half of it has never even been opened since mm-hmm. we moved in four years ago. We don't have an ice maker, so I want to get what I always see on the TikTok shop are those little like bar top mm-hmm. ice makers. Mm. Because then oh, I will yeah. actually make a cocktail way more often. Yes, then you don't have to go back and forth. Don't have to go back and forth and also don't have to like, I don't know. We don't have a lot Use of- ice a, trays. We don't have a good freezer for ice trays and it's like always full of frozen pizzas. There isn't really room for ice trays anyway. I'm just, <laughs> I'm doing it. In fact, while you are getting to work on your segment, I'm going to look up- Do it. An ice maker. Do it, baby girl. Yeah. All right. Well, Cheers. Lucy. Cheers. What is our background and maybe psych, I don't know, for the old switcheroo? Well, as we discussed, Kenyon has once again suggested a really, really nebulous topic that I didn't know how to tackle. So I love it. Today, I'll be telling you about one potential way something can be old switcherooed in terms of criminality, Mm. and that is... The chain of custody. Yes. Ooh. So we yes. really have never talked about this before. So mm-hmm. important. Yeah. And it's like, it plays a big role in like lots of movies. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's well known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to tell you about kind of how that works. And I also sort of went down a rabbit hole because I found it extremely interesting. Okay. So note that the chain of custody exists outside of criminal proceedings. So like, for example, in clinical trials for vaccines, tracing food products through like the supply chain, Mm -hmm. establishing provenance in art and antiques. So like figuring out who owned it when Mm -hmm. and making sure there were no gaps. Mm -hmm. And also just in the good old postal service. Ah. Tracking numbers. This is essentially the chain of uh, custody. So here's a definition from the National Library of Medicine. The chain of custody, or the COC, the cock, is the most critical process of evidence documentation. It is necessary to assure the court of law that the evidence is authentic, i.e. that it is the same evidence seized at the crime scene and that it was at all times in the custody of a person designated to handle it and for which it was never unaccounted. It always had a babysitter. It was mm-hmm. always, people knew, always knew where it was. Wasn't tampered with. Mm-hmm. Wasn't tampered with. Wasn't contaminated. Although it is a lengthy process, it is legally required for evidence to be relevant in the court. The continuity of possession of evidence or custody of evidence and its movement and location from the point of discovery and recovery, Mm -hmm. so at the scene of a crime or from a person, Mm -hmm. to its transport to the laboratory for examination and until the time it is allowed and admitted in the court is known as the chain of custody of the chain of evidence. So this is obviously to prevent tampering or contamination of the evidence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. The chain of custody in literal terms is Basically, a paper trail or chronological documentation. In full, this documentation should report who, what, where, when the evidence was initially taken into custody, Mm -hmm. all the way to the point in a courtroom when a person could ask, 
right now where is that bloody shirt? Okay, mm-hmm. so we should always know who's in possession, who's touching it, where it is, mm-hmm. who has touched it. Mm-hmm. Who has touched it, when, what authority they had to touch it. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it. So there is, of course, a different scenario for, let's say, digital or electronic evidence, because sure. that would be like... Who touched that email? It's a, it's in the cloud. I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> but the idea is the same. Evidence technicians are the ones responsible for keeping that chain intact and in good shape. Evidence technicians, I feel like I'd be a really good evidence technician. That'd be fun. They also collect and process fingerprints. Mm. They evaluate evidence. So they're the ones who you get a bunch of shit from a crime scene and then they're like, okay, this is relevant and just a towel clutter. This is evidence. Yeah. Oh, you would be good at that. Mm Mm-hmm. They manage the property seized by the government. Mm-hmm. So they put take that it, tape up, put a guard there. I think so, yeah. So they're the ones that 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 handle it hmm. in general. Because it's not it's not like the detectives, it's not the cops. They hand it over to a crime to a an evidence tech. You gotta have a lot of trust in whoever has this position. Oh, so yeah. They usually work really, really independently, like through all of the systems, all of like the the, the police mm. and legal systems. Mm. They also prepare courtroom exhibits. Mm, oh, how you fun. Are... There would be like a little science project. Totally. This is like your next board. job. Yeah. Just like the white gloves ever, all the time, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. really careful with the blow poke. Yeah, oh, little boxes mm-hmm. of things. And, on a hillside. And they testify in court. Locked. Which I would also be really good at. You mm-hmm. would. This combines your elements of your public speaking talent, mm-hmm. your attention curios. to detail, your curios, curios. your love, your love of like diorama. Yes. And dec- decoration. Yes. This checks every fucking See, box for we you. we need to spend more time in school learning Actually about identifying our own jobs. interests. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. learning uh, beyond just the big archetype jobs that everyone already a knows teacher, about. A doctor. Because yeah. they have us take those fucking aptitude tests that have like six possibilities right. for a job. Which and like truck driver. Got evidence technician was sergeant. not one of them. You got, you got drill, drill sergeant? Mom. Oh, well, okay. Got that drill tests. sergeant. Yeah. No, that's I spot on. I see that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one case where it was they nailed it spot on. They fully nailed it. <laughs> so the unbroken chain of custody is typically something the prosecutor has to prove in a criminal case, and defense teams will often try to poke holes in that in order to get evidence dismissed from the trial so that the jury Whoa, doesn't holes. see it. Uh-huh. So they might try to argue that the evidence was was planted. Mm-hmm. on the accused or that it was mishandled after the fact to to mislead investigators or to mislead the tr- the jury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the chain of custody is something that will almost always be part of a prosecution's Trial. case. Wasn't mm-hmm. it a huge part of the Stephen Avery thing where they like did all these like intense searches and yep. then on like the fifth search then they, they found, found the car something. keys. They found the yeah. car keys. Yeah. Like in plain sight. Yeah. That was so I think, fucking dumb. I mean, we know this. I think Stephen Avery is sketchy as shit. Yeah. But the cops were also the sketchy as shit. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
That is a good, that's a good case of the reasonable doubt. Like, Mm -hmm. as we say, no, no victim is perfect, Mm -hmm. but also no perpetrator is necessarily like a hundred percent. And you can still be like a weird sketcho, but not. And not be a murderer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's Uh, how I feel about Michael Peterson. Yeah, Total no. fucking bizarre weirdo. You can be guilty you, and yeah. still not deserve, like you don't, no one deserves being framed. A thousand like, percent. Like even if he was guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No. I mean, you are so weirdly convinced that Michael Peterson is is innocent He's, that it concerns me. Yeah, please don't start writing to him or anything. <laughs> Don't become number three. Oh, God. Don't go (laughs) near any stairs. He's so old. I'm not. No, I don't want any personal contact with anybody. The two of you. I'm good. My husband, I guess. I don't want. I don't. I don't need new people in my life. That's that's actually very fair. I never have to worry about Lucy ending up in like an inmate love situation because she wants no new friends. Mm -hmm. No, and just having the 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 mental burden of like, I have to write back to him. I haven't emailed him back yet. I don't have the mental fortitude. I don't have the executive function for mail correspondence. No. M A I L or M A L E. Any kind. Can't, I can't. So here's an example of the chain of custody from thoughtco.com. A police officer collects a gun at a crime scene and places it in a sealed container. We'll get to the sealed containers. Ooh. The police officer then gives the gun to a police forensics technician, the evidence technician. Mm-hmm. The Evidence technician removes the gun from the container, collects fingerprints and other evidence present on the weapon, Mm -hmm. and places the gun, along with the evidence collected from it, back into the sealed container or into a different sealed container. The technician then gives the gun and related evidence to a police evidence technician. Oh, wait. Maybe. Okay. I shouldn't have replaced forensic technician with evidence technician. You know what? Maybe they're kind of interchangeable a technician a technician then they give it to a different technician and that evidence technician stores the gun and related evidence in a secure place and records everyone who accesses the evidence during the investigation until final disposition of the case so so wait are those like in the scenes in movies when you go down to the evidence locker and there's like well and there's like some young rookie cop that's like sitting at the front desk that's mm-hmm. signing people in and that's out. That's the evidence mm-hmm. technician. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second one, not the one that is dusting it for fingerprints, and like but the one that's evidence. handling the storage of it. Correct. It. And I shouldn't have replaced. So the one who dusts for fingerprints, that would be a forensics technician. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the evidence technician who I said about the fingerprints, they they take fingerprints. I think they're like at the police station taking perps fingerprints when they're booked in sure that was my understanding because then the the fingerprints are then evidence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i guess Mm -hmm. sure it's it it counts as records that need to be kept Mm -hmm. unmolested you don't want to have an old switcheroo with the fingerprints sure don't yep Each sample or piece of evidence goes in its own tamper evident bag or container 
And each bag or container has its own chain of custody form. I have a couple samples of these chains of custody. Tamper forms. evident. Tamper means if well, no, tamper evident. Tamper evident means if you fuck with it, it's going to be really obvious. Like yeah. there will be indicators that it's mm. been tampered with. It'll right? be like taped shut. Okay, so, so like the you, bank bags that get you with fucking blue ink would be tamper evident bags. Yeah, but we wouldn't use that in this scenario. Well, right, but that's just an example that makes sense. To yeah. Me. It basically means that they're taped shut with you'd tape. You have to cut the tape. You'd have to cut the tape and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tam- it, it is evident if you tamper with it. Got, Got it. it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if it gets transferred to a new bag or container, it gets it's it gets a new separate chain of custody form. So pieces of evidence can often have multiple forms. Because mm-hmm. to- they moved around or. Mm-hmm. Got mm-hmm. it. So this form has to include at least the following information. We have the unique identifier of the container itself. So we mm-hmm. know that it that it was maybe not the original container or whatever. But it's been stored in mm-hmm. this Tupperware. Okay. The name and signature of the person who collected the sample initially. Mm-hmm. The official address and contact number of that person or that... Um, entity like making making all this happen like the Uh police station the name of the recipient who that package is going to the laboratory's address and the details of each sample because sometimes there are multiple samples in the same container including a unique identifier and matrix it's like a Mm. thorough description the date and time of collection the type of analysis required, whether we want fingerprints off of this, we want to determine what kind of blood this is or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. The signatures of everyone involved in the chain of possession with the date and the time. So it'll be mm-hmm. like a list, like a library card. Mm-hmm. Not like a li- not like an ID library card, but like, no, the, but like the checkout the that's book, on the inside cover. The that goes in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. seems so fucking ancient, but I remember that. Mm-hmm. That was a thing. Yep. The date and method of delivery. So it was delivered here on February 9th via Carrier Pigeon, the evidence van of this jurisdiction. The authorization for the analysis of the sample and any other information about the sample. So it's like they pulled it out because they wanted to get fingerprints off of this thing. Now here's the authorization that this person is going to get the fingerprints off mm-hmm. of this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, who's this analyzing is all this information, or is no one analyzing it? We're about it? to get to it, and oh, this is okay. my favorite part. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. So, where does the evidence go? To the crime or forensic laboratory, a facility where various analyses are performed. I desperately want to tour a crime mm-hmm. lab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is like a funhouse of forensics. Mm-hmm. That's where everything cool happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is from my boyfriend. I'm like breathing hard. Okay. Yeah, yeah we I, can tell. So You're so pregnant. It's so cute. Very excited. I throw up my hands just once and I'm out of breath. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Crime laboratories can investigate physical, chemical, biological, or digital evidence and often employ specialists in a variety of disciplines, including behavioral forensic science, Forensic pathology, forensic anthropology, crime scene investigation, and ballistics. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Many crime labs are publicly funded and administered by federal, state, or provincial, or local government, 
although there are a growing number of private labs that specialize in fields such as drug analysis and DNA fingerprinting. Mm -hmm. So here's a fun fact for you. England and Wales are among the few places in the world to have exclusively privatized crime labs. That's really Hmm. surprising to me. I would think it'd be more likely to have that here where we privatize fucking everything. Yeah. We'll kind of get to the privatization and why it's actually an ethical issue to have it um, oh, so it's run so by trying to help the prosecution necessarily. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it. Oh, okay. <sighs> okay. So all crime labs have some sort of evidence intake unit where the evidence is received and that little form is filled out and it's assigned a unique laboratory and case identifier So this may be a number assigned by a clerk or a barcode affixed to each item and tracked by a computer. Mm -hmm. So today I would imagine it's more likely it spits out a barcode. You put the barcode on the bag. You put the same barcode on a list somewhere. It has to get scanned everywhere it goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the barcode system generates an automatic chain of custody of the evidence and makes it possible to determine its location in the lab at any time. Mm. From login, the evidence is usually stored in a secure environment which may be a temporary storage area or the main storage area for all the evidence in the lab until it's assigned to one or more examiners. Or like a flood-prone basement in a oh, yeah. swampy city. <laughs> yeah. In, or, New Orleans. Or like an asbestos-filled dry rot attic. About yep, to cave about in. About to set fire. Yes. Yep. Very flammable. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ideally. Uh, That is ideal, but we should be so lucky. (laughs) Examiners may have separate storage areas for their own evidence. So there are different units inside the crime lab. Mm -hmm. And maybe each unit, depending on the size of the lab, each unit might have its own area for storage. And this is where I got really excited about the different units. This is where you've been excited? Okay. This whole time. You had to stop for breath. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to power through. (laughs) So, different units in the drug lab. And of course, not every lab has all these different units, but these are like the main variety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are drug units where they inspect uh, pills, powders, and liquids. Mm -hmm. I swear, it was Parmesan cheese. (laughs) Officer. You like the donuts, eh? Oh, God. (laughs) They have the biology unit where they look at blood, semen, saliva, bones, Plant material, also bugs. Mm -hmm. So they need to look at like decomposition. Mm. Assess those maggots, baby. Mm -hmm. They have, Kenyon, you'd like this, a trace evidence unit. Love it. Mm. Where they they look at fibers, fire and explosive residues to determine like arson, maybe. Mm -hmm. They should have an entire unit only for maroon fibers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They really should. Because we are overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with them. They're everywhere. They are everywhere. The trace evidence unit would also look at glass, um, like shattered, like broken glass, uh, different soils, paints and coatings, paint chips. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They would also look at trace evidence like hair and skin, even Mm -hmm. though the the biology unit would be like... It would eat that that kind of thing would either be in the biology unit or the trace. I evidence guess it unit. would depend on the amount of it. Like if it's really, really trace evidence, then I guess it would have to be handled by this unit. 
And of course, there's going to be overlap between the units, right. too. Mm-hmm. They also have a firearms and tool marks unit. Yikes. Mm-hmm. So that could be, uh, like, for example, restoring obliterated serial numbers on weapons. Mm-hmm. Cool. Matching spent bullets to the weapon that fired them. But also something like determining whether a certain pair of wire cutters cut a particular wire. Wow. Because that, that kind of examination is super similar to like the ballistics, the ballistics kind of stuff. Yeah, you're That's lining up. wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tool yes. marks. Certain tools are going to leave certain patterns. Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. Isn't that so cool? That's very cool. We have our fingerprint unit. We have the digital unit. So that handles stuff like digital photos or data from computers. Um, we have the toxicology unit, which uh, su- usually supports the medical examiner. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, if this person was drunk dur- when they got in this car accident mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they also have the questioned <laughs> documents unit, Ooh. which is where they examine handwriting and typewriting to determine the author or the authenticity of the document. I feel like Very I would cool. be extremely good at this. You really Very would. Cool. They also analyze. I wouldn't be good at any of this. <laughs> not, not your skill set. No. <laughs> not no, even no, the no. signing things in no. and out. No, because I will definitely space out and forget. I'll test all the drugs with my mouth and nose. <laughs> You'd be the surly detective. Sure. Yeah. The yeah. detective's partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you would be Wife. the secretary who is like clackety clack clack clacking with her nails. A thousand and giving percent. people shit and not giving letting people, people in that don't have the right authorization. In yep. All the corrupt cops. Yeah. I will squeal immediately. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be the what are you here for? Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't bitch. think so. Not today. Mm-mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm about to go on lunch. <laughs> With a pen on a long chain. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, uh, also, the questioned documents unit also analyzes inks and papers, as well as copier toners and other forms of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, when you see, like, oh, this must have come from the same typewriter. This is the same suspect because, like, the, the serif on the lowercase t is missing mm-hmm. or something There's like that. There's always something off about everyone's typewriter. Totally. No two typewriters are identical. No. So after the physical evidence is analyzed, it's typically moved to an evidence storage room, which is usually at a police station or a f- fire-prone addict or a moldy basement. Mm-hmm. It's also sometimes in a separate facility like, well, I'm about to say, after the statute of limitations ends on any given case, the evidence is re- it might be retained just in case or it might be destroyed, especially if it's drug evidence mm-hmm. or it might be sold, depending on the laws of the region. Mm-hmm. It's weird to think that they can just sell that stuff if it's like, well, it's really no, of no use to us anymore. But if it's um, if it could be applicable... So, like, if it's evidence for a cold case that hasn't been solved, but that the, maybe there is no statute of limitations or they just want to hang on to it, it'll usually go to, like, a bigger separate storage unit that's basically mm-hmm. like a warehouse. Mm-hmm. So, kind of to answer your question, Kenyon, here are some potential problems when it comes to crime labs and the chain of custody in general. Mm-hmm. So number one, and obviously it takes a lot of very conscientious effort on the parts of many individuals to maintain these records and therefore the integrity of the sample. So you have to be really intentional about 
doing a good job with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine if you just one little fuck up and suddenly the person isn't getting convicted, you know, right. or like yeah. they toss all the evidence out of the trial. Mm-hmm. That'd be insane. Mm-hmm. Also, crime labs in the United States and many other countries do not have a mandatory process for accreditation. Oh, should we open one? <laughs> we probably could open one. Can it be tax free? <laughs> like a church? I, I am my laboratory for questionable documents is open. So because many labs are part of local law enforcement agencies, a lot of people have access to them. If you're a detective, if you're a cop, if you're whoever a cop wants to bring into the lab, mm. you can just go into the lab. And chat with the technicians or do whatever. Pressure them, bribe them. So this can not only affect the risk of tampering or contamination of evidence, but also bias in favor of the prosecution in analysis. Mm -hmm. So this is why a lot of defense teams will push for a private lab to analyze the evidence so the private lab can have their own rules to be like, um, you're not invited. That makes sense. Also, just that they're not like best buddies with. Right. The the pe- mm-hmm. the players involved in the uh-huh. case, kind of like uh-huh. Devers in the staircase thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dwayne Deaver, yeah. whatever him. his name is. But it yeah. it it can get very tangled, which can be very problematic, especially on that thin blue line bullshit. Mm-hmm. That kind of explains to me. It explains why we don't have more privatized labs because the government doesn't really have much of an incentive. The state to... actually benefits from not having them. Mm-hmm. That's sketchy as fuck. Okay. Yep. Yep. But I still want to go to a crime lab. So of if course. anyone has access to apparently one connected to a local law enforcement agency, because you could just go right in. Yeah. Hit me up. Hit or me up. Lure down. Also, if you're an evidence technician, I would like we will wear to speak gloves. with you. We will wear little booties. Oh, we I will love wear the booties. Hairnet. I would prefer I to wear all of might not wear above. a hairnet, but. <laughs> Amanda has to wear a hairnet. Your I hair just, is everywhere. Everything will be contaminated. I don't think Screaming I need to wear one because it would be so obvious that it was my hair. So it's just <laughs> no. easy to be like, oh, don't worry about <laughs> okay. that hair. The DNA would throw them off for sure. Right. <laughs> well, the DNA comes from the root. That's all me. Mm-hmm. There's no root on my purchased hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're good. So anyway, that we're is good. my attempt at tackling the old That's switcheroo. Good. And Beautiful. I thought yeah. it was fascinating. Chain it of is. custardy. Well yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, hear a quick word from our sponsors and then go in a completely other direction. Love it. Let's do it. Y'all, there are some things that should not go together, like drinking a glass of orange juice right after you brush your teeth. (laughs) That's the worst. The absolute worst, you know? Some things just don't mix, like oil and water, okay? Our bodies don't absorb CBD oil very well. So when you reach for oil-based CBD products, you could be absorbing as low as 6% of what's on the label. And if that's all you're getting, then what's the point? Next Evo Naturals developed a proprietary water-soluble form of CBD clinically tested multiple times, which has proven to work faster and absorb four times better. So you can stay calmer or sleep better during this stressful time of year. CBD only works if it actually gets into your body. And only Next Evo has proven their all-natural gummies and capsules absorb four times better than most oil-based products. 
Yeah, I had every reason to be skeptical about like another like CBD brand. Mm-hmm. But when I tell you these are fast acting and effective, mm-hmm. they definitely are. I use the sleep ones like every night. Yeah. I love also, them. Like my travel buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey gets really stressed out on airplanes. And I'm just like, just drink, drink this water with this next Evo in it. And you'll, you'll feel right just as rain. fine. Yep. He loves it. So it's not well known, but CBD isn't actually an oil. But other companies often dissolve it in oil because it's just like it's cheap and it's an easy way to make products like tinctures and gummies. CBD only works when your body absorbs it. So Next Evo did the hard work and mm-hmm. created a unique proprietary water-soluble form of CBD. So this means that their products absorb faster, better, and they taste really good. They They're don't have so that, that weird, hempy aftertaste. Mm-hmm. With so many choices, you can trust the brand with the data. Next Evo products are proven to absorb, like Amanda said, four times better than most oil-based products. And they work fast with absorption starting in just 10 minutes. Mm. And Amanda and I, we're both gummy gals. Yeah, we are. So you should definitely try their brand new extra strength daily wellness CBD gummies that are two times stronger than regular strength. They're, they do the heavy lifting. Yep. So don't waste your time with oil-based CBD that might not work. Upgrade to better natural solutions from NextEvo. Go to nextevo.com and use promo code GALS to get 25% off. That's 25% off at nextevo.com, promo code GALS, and treat your wellness. Trade it. Have you heard of Dipsy? Mm-hmm. Probably. Yep. They have all types of oral pleasures to explore. We love oral pleasures, yep. but also oral, like, the things you hear with your ears. Yeah, this podcast, an oral pleasure. Yes, but also, like, oral with an O, too, if that's what you're into. It is. <laughs> Dip- all kinds of oral. Uh, oh, yeah. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for everyone. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters, and you can discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, hot and heavy hookups. It's also radically inclusive. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. New content is also released every single week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again and again and again, but it's <laughs> audio, so you don't have to show how many times you've crinkled those pages. It's a little more discreet. <laughs> you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read. So let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash G-A-L-S. One more time, dipsystories.com slash gals. And treat your fantasies. Treat them. Okay. I love my case. And nobody gets hurt. And it's fun. Ronald William Tackman was born McDonald. Mm-hmm, was born in Manhattan on October 1st, 1953. His father, William Tackman, was an executive of the New York Titans Football Club, which later became the New York Jets. Tough break. But he was mostly out of the picture. Queen of sports. Queen of sports. <laughs> His mother, Genevieve Jean uh, Devine. Jean Devine. That's Cute. adorable. 
worked and was gone a lot. So Ronald was mostly raised by his aunt and uncle in Queens. And that didn't go great. Oh, dear. Uh, despite being Queens highly... never does. <laughs> I think they meant well. I think they just couldn't handle him. He was mm. a lot to handle. Okay. Despite being highly intelligent, Ronald didn't do well academically. He dropped out of school. Some reports say in the third grade. Some say fifth grade. Safe to say it was early on. Mm-hmm. Like when you read that he was he dropped out of school, you kind of assume high school, but no. Yeah, but it's grade school. Yeah. That's wild. Dropped out. Yeah. And he took on odd jobs, including running a hot dog cart, which I'm what? just picturing a third grader doing now. Okay. I would drop out in third grade to run a hot dog cart. My former boss and the owner of the Harriet Brasserie, his name is Fernando Silva, when he was growing up in Brazil, he, when he was like, Nine, so like third or fourth grade, <laughs> he worked at a hot dog cart. <gasps> He's this guy. He's like of this guy. To school? No, he also okay. went to school. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had it all. He had it all. <laughs> what? Living the dream. Living it. Child the hot labor. Dog dream. <laughs> uh, later, he worked uh, doing like carpet and aluminum siding installation, you know, whatever. But really, he was working on his rap sheet. During Mm. this period. So his first charge at age 16 was for selling glue to other teenagers who wanted to get high. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because like you can just buy glue, guys. (laughs) No, no, I've got a guy. Then it's not illicit enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's just Elmer's glue, so you can do the thing where you put it on the back of your hand and then peel it off and pretend it's your skin. I... That used to get me high. I was such a little mark <laughs> that, like, I, th- uh, I, in my brain in fifth grade, that was doing drugs. Healing the glue? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, you dork. <laughs> You're so your mother's child. <laughs> so the you paranoia. told on people? I didn't tell on people, but I definitely, in my brain, it was like, I they're doing drugs. Them. They're doing glue. <laughs> Because it brought them so much joy to Because I knew peel that it you off. could. I knew there was something about glue and drugs. I just I don't know where or how I knew that. It really was <laughs> euphoric to peel the glue really off, was. especially when you got like one big piece. Yeah, so or I if never you did, did like oh. multiple, like four layers, so oh. it was like kind of thick. I need to get glue. I need to get back <laughs> into glue. glue. <laughs> Gotta get back okay. into glue. So. <laughs> Throughout the 1970s, Ronald is caught for other petty crimes, but then things escalate. He's stealing cars. By the 80s, he's on to robbery and like stickups. This is a long quote from New York Magazine. They have there's a great article. It's in my sources. Lots of my info came from this article. Mm-hmm. Quote: Tackman is a perennial stickup man. Sometimes he'd stash a toy gun in his waistband or use a cigarette lighter shaped like a gun or push his finger into the cloth of his jacket to simulate a weapon. His preferred targets were kid-friendly retail stores with names like Yogurt Rainbow. Oh, my God. (laughs) His crimes were crude theater, a game of dress-up. He'd walk in with a disguise, flash a fake weapon, and bark movie-sounding demands like, You know what I want. 
<laughs> he I was like so uncon- keep the change you filthy animal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was so unconvincing that sometimes his would-be victims chased him away oh my god <laughs> he was a hard living party guy in tight jeans and half button shirts he robbed to feed his drug habit end quote and his mostly cocaine habit. he did a lot of cocaine i think he might have dabbled with some heroin when okay. cocaine got too expensive at some point, he gets married and has a son. Wow. <laughs> Neither here nor there. Yeah. The chain of custody information was not very clear. <laughs> so then it was the 70s. So then 1985 happens, and basically Ronald's whole life gets turned upside down. It is a really bad year for him. I don't know the order of the following events, but these all happened within just a few months of each other. Was it his anus horribilis? His anus horribilis? <laughs> yes, it his was. horrible anus. His horrible, horrible <laughs> anus year. His son Christopher, this is sad, and I don't know how old Christopher was, but his son Christopher died in a boating accident Ooh. that year. He and his wife Joy got divorced, and then he gets his first violent robbery conviction for which he would end up serving 22 years in prison. Whoa. So that's a bad that's year. That's a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. a bad year followed by a bad 22 years. And the corgis were not well. Right? Ugh. The queen's corgis. And his son's a pervert. Not his. His son died, but... The None of died. these jokes will make any sense unless you've listened to purebred crimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so I don't have more info about this violent robbery conviction although i don't think he ever used a real weapon but i think yeah. maybe it could still count as violent robbery if mostly finger stuff if you <laughs> if you fake a weapon it can it yeah. can because the 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 victim the doesn't fear know is the same. Yeah. yeah the trauma is still real even if it is just hand stuff Right. The trauma is real with just hand stuff. Let me tell you. <laughs> so then, uh, very early into this sentence, in April 1985, while being transferred to a prison facility in upstate New York, Ronald commandeered a corrections department bus. He took a Sir. He took a guard hostage, made him strip, donned his uniform. Then locked the other guards in the back alongside the detainees who I don't think they were able to like. I don't think the detainees hurt the guards. And then he started driving in the guard uniform, the bus back to Manhattan. Whoa. Okay. A little ballsy all of a sudden. Yeah. It's giving Hannibal Lecter. Okay. So it's not because. Did he take his face? (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to get to it, but it's not, it's less serious than that. It's not that sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> so when he's driving the bus, he starts to hear reports over the like intercom, like the CB radio or whatever that the bus is missing. Like you're supposed to have been arrived here by now. Like what's right. your location, whatever. And he pulls over because he wants to, he's like, fuck the bus. I'm going to leg it. Hoof it. Hoof it. But he decides that the like detainees are in the back being like, let us out, dude. Like, come on. Like, like, let us out, too. Like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, "Okay, I'm going to help them out. And so he opens the back. But the other detainees tackle him and subdue him. Oh, my God. Well, they don't want to go down for this. They don't want to go down for this. Really, they want they want credit for apprehending him because yep. they think they can get time off their own sentences. Yeah. That's probably the smartest 
move. Which they probably did. Kenyon the narc would do. Yeah. Yeah. He and he was putting glue on his hand. He's huffing glue. He's doing glue. He was doing glue. (laughs) (laughs) So he gets tackled and his escape is foiled. Okay. Never help other people. Right? No. Try to help your fellow man. That's the lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did he even manage to commandeer the bus in the first place, you ask? I do ask. He did so by wielding a gun, quote unquote. Finger gun? That he had carved out of soap. Yes. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. You love good. the fake weapon. I love. Yeah, this is almost as good as <laughs> fake like prison weapons. the Clementines. Nec- nectarine fucking. Mm. Grenades. Bob, grenades. Yeah. Avocado. <laughs> God. So the gun was apparently wildly realistic looking. And Ronald would go on to prove a master sculptor, and we will get wow, to it. Wow, he's an artist. Cool. He is. This is another quote from New York Magazine. Quote, his inspiration came from statues that Hispanic inmates had carved from soap. I looked at them and said, didn't John Dillinger make a gun out of soap and escape? So I carved out a gun. He used black paint pilfered from his Rikers art class to oh. paint the barrel. God. Brown paint for the handle. He stole small screws from old clippers in the barber shop and plugged them into the soap. They oh. gave him everything he needed. Mm-hmm. Another metal piece he used for the nub. He cannibalized a broken pair of eyeglasses and used part of the frame as the gun's trigger guard. Wow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It was basically functional. Well, no, but it looked really good. <laughs> yeah. And thus began Ronald Tackman's long career of famed escapes. Mm. In September of 1985, he tried to shoot his way out of another transport van. So this is just six months later. With another soap gun? Well, quote, every time I got on a bus, the COs, they'd say, Tack, you better fire a shot through the windshield next time or no one's going to believe you. Mm. Because they're all making fun of him about the soap gun. So I thought, that's a great idea. So this time, he used a rubber band-powered zip gun. Brilliant. (gasps) Don't really get that, but okay. It's like a slingshot. Yeah, basically. That was made out of recycled barbecue materials. Okay. (laughs) Bones? Uh, No. Probably like sticks and skewers and... Metal tubing, Aluminum cans from like pop cans, Mm. a comb, a matchstick. The quote unquote gunpowder was graphite from pencil shavings and charcoal dust. This guy is real smart. Yes. This is like actually brilliant. Brilliant. So this makeshift gun fired once. It worked. Huh. Did it break the window? It didn't break the window, and it wasn't enough to convince the guards to drop their own weapons. Mm-hmm. Like, and Tackman also, I think, knew that like the gun was gonna fire once, but it probably wasn't gonna fire twice. Sure, yeah. So he he fired once as like a warning shot, and was like, "Drop your weapons! Drop your weapons!" And they were like, "No, no we're gonna do it again and prove it." Right? Doesn't sound like a real gun yeah something was off and so they did Mm -hmm. not drop their own weapons and so this (sighs) attempt also failed good try though pretty fucking remarkable though Mm -hmm. 
I'm very much impressed. The fact that he, yeah, created a gun and got it to fire at all. Yeah. He should mm-hmm. be on Naked and Afraid. Mm. He'd win. So he's back in prison. Ronald gets in trouble now for teaching other inmates how to build makeshift or fake guns. Hell yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Get that hustle, Robert. <laughs> and Ronald. so they're like, he cannot be around these other inmates because he's a bad influence. Mm-hmm. And so he ends up in the box. So being in solitary confinement makes Ronald's imagination run totally wild. Oh, dear. Oh. He's you know, What will he come up with next? <laughs> He's in he's in solitary for 23 hours a day for like two decades. Yeah, he has nothing to oh do but God. plot his next move. Yeah. So he did serve 22 years? Yes. Wow. I would go so absolutely Looney Tunes in solitary. Oh, you, you would go be Looney good. Tunes in six hours in solitary. Yeah. Oh, that's being generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two hours. I was accounting for a nap. True. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> So he spends a lot of time on his artwork, painting, sculpting, papier-mâché, mm. which he, like, makes himself. You know, it's all, like, prison material. Like, so he's given Toilet some art paper. materials, but mm. he also has to, like, make a lot of his own. So he's, like, making his own paintbrushes from his hair and, like, mm-hmm. all kinds of shit, right? From that cute, popular guy's hair. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> Holy shit. I just want you to know that the rumor that I'm stealing your hair to make a paintbrush is not true. (laughs) I did not make any paintbrushes out of your hair. I swear to God. Anyway, nice to meet you. Bye. (laughs) That was fucking amazing. Coven Confessions, y'all. You have got to listen to the Coven Confessions. It's uh, so good. Whatever our most recent gag was, the Coven (laughs) Confession was the best. Incredible. (laughs) Okay. So he also spends time coming up with detailed drawings of new inventions. He's just, he's, he's always, his brain is always going. He's Michelangelo, Da Vinci. Yes. Actually, other people have made that comparison. Oh. Mm -hmm. So finally in 2006, Tackman is released from prison after serving two decades. It's a big adjustment because he Mm -hmm. went in when the world, when it was 1985 and now Mm -hmm. it's 2006. There's iPhones. 9-11. Yeah. But at first and on paper, he seems to be doing well. He gets a girlfriend. He has a job installing flooring. He still has like a relationship with his mom. You know. It's going all right. Uh, Yeah. Compared to a lot of people. I know I recently said that I don't have room to be friends with like a convict. If if people... If people were recently out of jail, prison, who had been there for a really long time, and they needed, like, a mentor to adjust to, like, the new world, (laughs) that would be fun. I would not send them to you, you fucking weirdo. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) That would be not good for them. Very fun for you, I'm sure, but (laughs) yikes. You can can volunteer to, like, help be, like, a person who does, like, orientations for, like, new arriving refugees. Yes, I've thought about doing that. And, like, take them to the grocery store and, like, you Target know. practice. Yeah. yeah. Target practice? Oh, okay. The store like target. Like you do with your friend Ben. Oh, yeah. that Target. Yes. That's, like, socializing. He's yeah. not socialized. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hi, Ben. <laughs> okay. So, um, but it doesn't take long for him to get back to his old tricks, both drugs and 
crime to pay for drugs. So he soon launches a string of petty heists and holdups that all had a little bit of a dramatic or goofy flair. The Ronald McDonald flair. For example, he was really into disguises. Love it. (laughs) He had a large collection of hats and even a prosthetic nose that he would use to disguise himself. Oh, my God. Which was important. He's a theater kid. I love him. Mm -hmm. Because he mainly held up stores in his own neighborhood just blocks from his home. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) He didn't have a license. (laughs) Well, when asked why he stayed so close to home, he replied, I'm lazy. Good for you. <laughs> Good for him. I I love him. It's the most most relatable criminal we've ever yep. covered. I love this person so much. He wore a black gangster hat to rob a World of Nuts ice cream store. <laughs> World, World of, of nuts. nuts ice cream? The fuck? Fucking yum. Sounds amazing. I want yeah. ice cream so bad is right now. Is it nuts or is it ice cream? Figure it's it out. Ice cream with nuts in it. Keep up. Uh, Go have some cheesecake and take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) I have my my pumpkin bar still. (laughs) Yum. Put it in the fridge. Eat it cold. I have five more where this came from. I know what I'm doing (laughs) when we're done. (laughs) Uh, He also used a plastic nose and a camouflage hat to steal $100 from his neighborhood Dunkin' Donuts. And then he like turned around and bought drugs with it. America runs on (laughs) Dunkin'. (laughs) Turned turned to his right and bought drugs. Yeah. He never used real weapons. He, again, had this silver gun-shaped cigarette lighter or, like, rather unconvincing toy guns. And sometimes the holdups didn't work. And people Mm -hmm. were like, no. Get that plastic fucking shit out of here. Go home. So in 2008, he is arrested for this new string of robberies. And he's back in the system. But the title of this episode is The Old Switcheroo. Mm Mm-hmm. And I haven't even gotten to the good part yet. He switched a gun. He switched his nose. Nope. <sighs> that's not the switches I'm here to tell you about. Okay. On September 30th, 2009, Ronald... My birthday! Your birthday! <laughs> Ronald Tackman is being transported from Rikers Island for a court appearance. Because it's a court hearing, he's entitled to wear plain clothes. And so he'd dressed to the nines. He's got on this three-piece suit. He glued on his favorite nose. (laughs) (laughs) He's also not considered violent, so they remove his handcuffs. Mm. Big mistake. He shot at a bus full of cops. Kind of. He shot toward a window with a very fumbly fake gun. Mm -hmm. Some might say he shot at a bus full of cops. Some might. He still has on bright orange prisoner slippers, though, as a precaution to, like, identify him as a detainee. I mean, that's just Y2K fashion. He just liked him. Orange slides. Crocs are coming into fashion. Orange slides. (laughs) Prada slides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who isn't wearing orange slides in 2009? (laughs) Like, come on. But Tackman had thought of this, and He'd also worn that day extra long black socks, socks that he could pull entirely over the slippers to hide their bright orangeness. Brilliant. Mm. 
Basically, in the courthouse, there's a bullpen where prisoners are held waiting for their lawyers to escort them to their particular courtroom at the right time. Mm -hmm. And this holding cell is on the 12th floor of the building. And so Ronald is waiting in there and some of the prisoners are handcuffed. He happens to not be. Mm -hmm. He notices that the officers leave the door cracked open while they uncuff and hand over each prisoner to the lawyers. How Bundy of him. Mm-hmm. So he finds his opportunity and he slips out when the door is open and he dashes down the stairwell. Bye-bye. Then the coup de grace, when he reaches the lobby, he walks up to the security guards, tells them that he's a lawyer <gasps> and he needs to leave and where's the nearest exit. Oh, oh my and God. they show him the exit. Show him out. <laughs> so right this way, sir. At this point, he is wearing a shoes under his socks. Yeah, but they're just black socks. So, like, if you're not looking that closely, right. yeah. If so anyone had looked closely, they'd be like, "What? Why is he wearing a like amazing sock?" But it's just black and then a three-piece yep. suit. I love it. They just took him at his word that he was a lawyer. He's in a suit. Confidence is so key, mm-hmm. you guys. Yeah. yeah. Showed him out. He walked out the front door of the courthouse building. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> I love him. He's pretty great. <laughs> so probably unadvisedly, Ronald's first stop as a free man was... Duncan. To, <laughs> to his 81-year-old mother's apartment uptown, oh. which, like, don't do that. I know, but I understand. Walking into the building, he saw his mom's doorman and told him, hey, I just got out. (laughs) And the doorman's (laughs) like, looking good, man. I like the suit. Oh, wait. He did get out. He did just get out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So his mom is surprised to see her son, but she also has memory problems in her old age, so she doesn't quite, like, realize what's happening. And she just believes his story that he's out on bail. Right. And he had stashed seven grand in cash in her apartment. So in addition to just like wanting to see her, that's. Yep. He goes there. He changes out of the suit. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got other clothes there. He and left himself a drop. Yeah. Got his cash. Heads back out. <laughs> but does he then get on a bus, rent a yeah, car? Yeah, get out of town. Get out of town. Doubt it. I'm guessing not. He's lazy. (laughs) (laughs) No. He goes to crash on a buddy's couch in Spanish Harlem. Oh, my God. (laughs) Bestie. I'm out, babe. The only problem is when the buddy's girlfriend gets home from working the night shift, she is like, absolutely not, (laughs) and makes him leave. That'd be Kenyan. Uh, yep. Yeah. I'd be like, no. Mm-mm. We just had house guests. I'm Mm-mm. done. <laughs> it doesn't matter who this man is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's out. So the next day was Ronald's 56th birthday, October oh. 1st, 2009. Oh, my God. He's out just like wandering New York City during the day because he doesn't have a place to go. Right. And he sees his photo in the local papers and he starts to get nervous. So he lays low and Puts he on gathers. His <laughs> literally gathers <gasps> new supplies, <laughs> including two burner phones, 
quote, crack cocaine, a bag with wigs, costume makeup, phony beards, mustaches, self-tanner. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) A bogus passport, which could not have been high quality. No. And four gun-shaped cigarette lighters and also some White Castle. He loves the gun-shaped cigarette lighters. Well, because he can use them as a... Prop like under his jacket They're to hold people Yeah, up. I know that. This is just the They're third reference <laughs> to the gun-shaped cigarette lighters over They're like a thirty-year stretch. Mm-hmm. So that night, he treats himself to a fancy dinner, and then he takes the bus back uptown to spend at White a, Castle. Well, he had White Castle for lunch, and then oh, a okay. fancy dinner. I don't know where. Takes a bus because he's afraid to get on the subway, so he takes a bus back uptown. Uh, and spends another night at his buddy Mike's because he knows the girlfriend is working. <laughs> mm. Come this on. It's like I could so see Zach being like, yeah, buddy, you can yeah, stay. Yeah, Kenyon's Kenyan, gone work. for the night. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. She's visiting she, well, friends. She won't know. She'll be fine. I got oh my God. I'm not going to. Bros before hoes. I'm not telling her shit. <laughs> oh, one time one <laughs> of our college is infuriating me. <laughs> came to visit and I was out of town and I knew the college friend was coming. I was. I, was sad to miss him, but he was coming mm-hmm. to stay at our house. We have so this is before Sonia was born. We literally had three guest rooms essentially yeah. at this time. For some reason, he didn't stay in any of the guest rooms, and he slept on top of the like couch on the third floor and used a towel as a blanket. What I Zen? Yes. This is a man men? thing to do. And Give him a bed and a blanket, for God's sake! And another, and another thing. Yeah, oh. they'll sleep on the couch with no kind of sheet, and then mm. like your couch is basically a contaminated, sweaty man couch. Then, mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Le- sleep yeah. in a bed where I can at least wash the sheets after. Yeah, mm-hmm. 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 didn't want to put us out. Yeah, okay. That's really, <laughs> that is the most straight guy shit. And Zach I've ever fucking heard. Yes. Like the friend didn't ask Zach, like, "Hey, bro, can I have a pillow and a blanket?" Or like, "No, because can I Zach sleep in should this have bed? provided that as I know. Host. I agree. Ugh, and yet, so the time dumb. I came and surprised you out of nowhere, and he made a whole bed and with the sheets and pillows and everything. Without yeah, but being he knew prompted. what he would have been in for if you had not been provided. Yeah, they with know. The bed. It's a choice. It's yeah. a choice. Okay. Jesus. So he goes back to his buddy Mike's, but Mike, not such a great buddy. Oh, no. Nark. Mike was waiting for him on his stoop, and so were the cops. Michael. You son of a bitch. Fuck you, Mike. So to quote Ronald, somebody gave me up on my fucking birthday. Ain't that something? Oh, (laughs) it was my birthday. It was his birthday. At least he got a nice dinner beforehand. Fuck Mike, dude. Arrest him for being a dick. (laughs) So Tackman was sentenced to 28 years to life in prison for the robberies and the courthouse escape. He was again released, though, in 2020 after being granted a medical parole from the Mohawk Correctional Facility in Rome, New York, which is very close to Hamilton. Mm. Yeah, Um, it is. mm -hmm. And this medical parole was really warranted because Ronald had a lot 
of health issues. He had hepatitis, diabetes, cirrhosis of the liver. He'd, he'd done a lot of drugs. He'd done some pretty hard living. So it wasn't day. a COVID thing. Not COVID related. Or maybe because he He's had so fucked all up that if he had gotten COVID, he would have died. Instantly, probably. yeah. Mm. Yeah. And not long after his release, he did die at the age of 66 in hospice oh. in the Bronx. Dang. I know. And I'm pretty sure his mom had already passed away. So it's sad. His lawyer, Joseph Heinzman, said admiringly of his unusual client, quote, this is a guy who has more fun figuring out the puzzle than completing it. The challenge mm-hmm. is over. So why bother with the rest? The rest is just detail. Like he really That's didn't care yeah. that much about like getting away. Right. Because yeah. he would, if he cared that much, he would have left New York. Mm-hmm. He wanted Get to on a pull bus and leave. off the escape. Mm-hmm. And he did. Mm-hmm. And why he robbed places like within a block of his house. Yeah. I love him so much. I know. Mm -hmm. So besides his high profile escapes, Ronald Tackman's legacy will live on through his prison art. The New York Times reports, quote, behind bars, his true creativity came to the fore. Besides visualizing his getaways and fashioning the tools he needed for his escapes, he sculpted and painted, allowing him to conjure up exotic places and people he would never otherwise see. Mm. I really don't know if he ever left New York City. Well, I mean, he left, he went to prisons around New York State. Right. But I don't know if he ever left New York State, Mm. honestly. Oh, I'm looking at his artwork. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you put some on the drive? Yeah, yeah that's cool. Ooh, okay, I'll lean back in for that. And so he said, quote, I've been all around the world in my paintings. He would oh, use wow. food coloring for paint or his own hair to make paintbrushes. He molded papier-mâché out of white bread and toilet paper. Some of his drawings have a surrealist quality. These are cool. He did a drawing of an inmate serving a 210-year sentence. I like that drawing. One of his masterpieces is an elaborate soap carving, not of a gun, but of a buffalo, which is on. That should be on the drive, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. That is really good. Mm -hmm. Some of Tackman's paintings and sculptures sold for several hundred dollars. Not many of his pieces are available today. He did create a book called Million Dollar Ideas with examples (laughs) like a tube that dispenses peanut butter and jelly at the same time. Oh, they have that. Yeah. An electronic bicycle, which was way ahead of its time. He drew that shit in 1967. E-bikes, baby. His mother, Jean, perhaps summed her son up best. Quote, he's too damn smart. That's what his problem is. (laughs) I know. Wow. I, R.I.P., man. I know. Walking out of the court, going up, going up, to the guards. Yeah. Being like, hey, where's the closest exit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Yep. Yep. Well done. What a story. Nice. Mm-hmm. Good job. Thank you. Great. Well, should we take a quick sponsor break and then get to something significantly sadder? But no one gets killed. Okay. Great. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Step into a world of nonstop action on DraftKings Casino. Play the classics like blackjack, roulette, and slots, plus enjoy exclusive games you can't find anywhere else. Right now, new customers can get a deposit match up to $100 in casino credits when you deposit $5 or more. 
All you have to do is sign up, select the offer, make your deposit, and start playing from a full suite of games. Your way is the only way to play on DraftKings Casino. Play online on your time, in your space, and within your means, and it's safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you're ready. So download the DraftKings Casino app now, sign up with promo code GALS, and new customers get a deposit match up to $100 in casino credits when you deposit $5 or more, only on DraftKings Casino with promo code GALS. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in West Virginia. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 plus. Physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario. One per opted-in new customer. Minimum $5 deposit, maximum match $100 in casino credits, which require one-time playthrough within seven days. See terms at casino.draftkings.com slash players choice. Restrictions apply. So I will not be discussing forensics today, but instead we'll be regaling you with the tale of a different kind of switcheroo. One Kenyon and Zach definitely never needed to worry about because their baby looks exactly like them. Sure does. <laughs> she, she's a perfect half and half of the two yeah. of us. It's kind of <laughs> terrifying. Really they funny. mixed her up in that tube just perfect. They really did. <laughs> but this story is very heartbreaking. It brings up a lot of feelings about like the fucking patriarchy, about not believing women, and about how lonely it must have been to live in a situation that you like knew something to be true, but no one else, or at least no one else capable of helping was willing to believe you. Oh, God. Okay. And so these are just your circumstances now. It's like you feel like you're going completely insane. Oh, my God. Okay. So little Deanne Angel had been teased all her life for looking so different from her siblings. She had corn silk blonde hair and blue eyes, while her siblings, who I, I think her mother was of, like, Latina, Latinx, descent um so her siblings also had brown hair brown eyes like thick kind of curly hair yeah. yeah darker olive more olive skinned complexions and she's just this like little sonia blonde hair blue eye <laughs> oh my god kid <laughs> and uh they're living in rural hepner oregon and the kids on the playground who could be little fucking assholes mm-hmm. would say that her mom must have slept with someone else that her dad wasn't her real father and like all the awful insinuations that go along with an alleged affair mm-hmm. 20 miles across town another little girl Kay renee reed faced similar taunting hers less so from schoolmates but more in the form of rumors whispered among family Not rumors of an affair, however, but rumors that the child they were raising was an imposter switched with their real child at birth. Oh, my God. It was 1953 when they were born. DNA testing was in the distant future, and young mothers struggling with postpartum depression were rarely heard, let alone believed. Mm -hmm. The day her baby girl was born, Marjorie Angel fell in love with the little bald baby that was placed Right in her arms. Mm-hmm. A little bald baby. <laughs> a little cue ball baby. <laughs> Nurses tenderly took this baby to be cleaned up. And after returning from bath time, Marjorie cried to the nurses and was convinced, like screaming, that this other bald little baby was not her baby. Mm-hmm. 
Unable or possibly unwilling to double check, the nurses assured her this was her baby and she was soon sent home to raise a child who felt like a stranger. That is so fucking scary. And yet, first of all, it's 2023. And I'm sorry, I had a lot of nurses and healthcare workers who did not listen to me Mm -hmm. fucking at all. And it was actually quite traumatic. I'm sure. It's horrible. And... This I can absolutely see this like now it won't happen because they do the little bracelets and they, right. you know, they they have things in place because shit like this happened. But for mm-hmm. other things. But I can absolutely see them just being like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're you're postpartum. Calm down. Yep. You're, trying, you're treated it's your like baby. an insane inconvenience, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, was their have shift fun. almost done? Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So the thought that the child had been switched at birth was dismissed, falling away to family folklore. Donalda Reed, the only other mother in the tiny hospital that day, had a difficult birth requiring full sedation. Mm. So she accepted the cleaned up child when she had come out of sedation. So you didn't have any memory of that first like placement. Right. The baby was taken to be bathed. How could she know? These were the only two babies. It was a very t- small rural hospital. These are the only two babies that were born that day. Mm-hmm. And they both were taken away for bath time. They're both bald. These bald <laughs> little pale babies that were born with blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Swapped them up. Brought it back. Donalda is like, that's my baby. And like, a lot, I didn't most, even question a it. A lot of babies are born with blue eyes. Exactly. And they don't yeah. necessarily stay blue. Yeah. Rumors of Marjorie's accusations had made their way through town and all the way to Donalda, who dismissed them and didn't give it another thought. She had her baby. Her family was complete. You know, that was that. I could also see not wanting to hear that if you didn't have any suspicion. And you're like, what? Like, no. (gasps) Only once did she bring up the rumors when her children were older. And according to Kay Renee's memory, she told Kay Renee that they were not true. You are my, quote, you are my daughter and you always will be, she said. And so the two families lived on as normal, a mere 20 miles apart, but never in contact, never at the same school. The children were unaware that the other family even really existed. The girls would grow up, move away, get married, have kids of their own, become grandparents, Wow. And and the mothers who had suspected or denied that their daughters weren't their own had passed away, seemingly taking any answers to this rumor with them. What about the dads? The dads not, are just not, it's not, the not kicking up a fuss, not yeah. involved. Like they're involved with the family, but they're not right. like, you know. Yeah. They don't have strong opinions. Right. My parolee friend sleeping on the couch. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Gonna go mow the lawn, check the gutters. Yep. <laughs> so that's until the summer of 2009, when Kay Renee's brother, Bobby Reed, got a call from an 86-year-old woman who had known his mother, Marjorie, and had also lived next door to the Angel family in Oregon. Quote, she said she had something she had to get off her chest, Bobby said in an interview, so he agreed to go meet with her. At this point, you know, she's 86. She's living in a nursing home. She can't travel. Imagine getting a phone call from a rando 86-year-old woman in a nursing home saying she has something she needs to get off her chest. Will you come meet her? And won't tell him over the phone. (laughs) So he's like, hell yes, I'm curious as fuck. (laughs) Yeah. So he goes to the nursing home where she lives and sits with her. The woman told him that his mother, Marjorie, who was not sedated when the babies were born, Mm -hmm. and she was the one who did say, like, this isn't my baby. So she had confided in this woman who was her neighbor 
in her resolute belief that her child had been switched at birth Mm. with no one else really believing her to talk to this neighbor had been kind of her only confidant. The neighbor then produces a photo as proof of the switch. Cause I guess Marjorie maybe got this picture and then Mm. gave it to her. Bobby took a look at the picture, believing it to be his little sister, Kay Renee photographed around seventh or eighth grade. But he was shocked when the woman corrected him. The photo was of Deanne Angel's biological sister, Juanita. Oh, my God. So his sister looks so much like the other girl family's <gasps> biological oh. kid. So I guess not Deanne's biological sister, the other family's that's, biological yeah. child. Oh. It's like, no, that's not your sister. That's this other family's kid. Who looks and just like your look sister. Ex- like Damn. identical. And <gasps> even when they met later as adults, they all they they made a joke that was like, well, we don't need to get a DNA test. Like, we're twins. Like, this is absurd. Bobby could not deny the incredible likeness and didn't quite know what to do. He was kind of afraid to talk to his siblings. He didn't want to hurt or change the family, but he knew that he had a responsibility to do so. Mm-hmm. So he actually called his older sister and said, like, I don't know how to tell, you know, Kay Renee that, like, she's not part of our, our sibling. Like, Ugh. I don't know what to do. Right. So they sat down with her together and were like, listen, this old fucking lady on her deathbed basically made a deathbed confession that, like, this is this is a thing, and here's the photo of who we suspect to be your biological sibling. Mm-hmm. So at the end of 2009, Kay, Renee, Bobby, and their sister Dorothy met Deanne at a Kennewick, Washington clinic to all have their DNA tested. Mm-hmm. The doctor said Kay Renee and Deanne's DNA would be compared to Bobby and Dorothy's DNA to determine the probability of relation between the four of them. A week later, Kay Renee gets the results. She's at work. So she goes to her car to open the envelope privately. She's at and work. She, she's at work. She had zero DNA in common mm-hmm. with the two people that she grew up with as her brother and sister. And it's 2009, but, so this is pretty early on. Like, I feel like this is becoming more, not switched at birth is not common, right. but like getting shocking DNA results in mm-hmm. one's family. I was going to say more of a Kenyan <laughs> secret love child situation. Yeah. I know from personal experience is mm-hmm. becoming more common uh, in people's lives. But yeah, in 2009, yep. still early days. Well, yeah, we didn't have like, the ancestry of 23andMe kits, but you could certainly go to a lab to a lab or mm-hmm. yeah, and have your DNA done. Deanne, however, shared 99.9% DNA like rela- relatability with Bobby and Dorothy. Oh my yeah. God. There's no so doubt. So just confirmed everything. Yep. So Kay Renee says, I cried. I wanted to be a read and I discovered my life wasn't my life. And then which I went like, back to work. Which pretty like- much. <laughs> Not to invalidate this person's feelings, because she can feel however the fuck she wants to feel, mm-hmm. but there are multiple ways of looking at it. and For sure, and she gets there. Yeah. And I think something she says a little bit later, I think resonates with the my life wasn't my life portion mm-hmm. a little bit more as to like why this was so emotional for her. Mm-hmm. So... And for both of them, obviously. But the weeks following the discovery were incredibly emotional for both women. They're both grappling with grief over the realization that they will never have met their birth parents because now they're all, both sets of parents are dead. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, both parents. Yeah. And there was an interview, I guess, or maybe the interview was with Bobby, but Bobby was talking about how when he went and sat down with that elderly 
former neighbor, the neighbor had even said, I didn't want to bring this information forward until while your mom was still alive because it was like so awful for her that I didn't want to bring it back up. So I've basically been waiting for your parents to pass away, hoping I outlive them to be able to contact you and tell you that like I have this photograph and that this is true and you should now that we have the technology you should go check this out <gasps> so oh yeah both sets of parents gone they, uh, the, the the sisters are 56 at this point 56 mm-hmm. years old when they discover that they are they were so switched not to birth only and they do were not get to just meet them and learn about them and to establish a relationship with them potentially but you also don't even get the closure to the one who had the suspicions to be like why didn't you pursue this yeah, yeah, my heart really breaks for Marjorie. Really, really breaks for her. So, though none of this is obviously her fault, no. Kay Renee grappled with extreme guilt. She said she felt she had stolen the other woman, Dee's memories. When she looked at her family now, she felt, quote, I've cheated them. It shouldn't have been me. I'm glad it was because I've had a wonderful life. Like, I love my family that I grew up with, mm-hmm. but I took, I feel like I took this life from Deanne. You know, mm. and vice versa. Well, no, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, obviously, again, she can feel however the fuck right. she wants to feel. It's understandable. But I think that this would be so complex. It's like survivor guilt where it's like, exactly. you, you aren't at fault, no. but you have this psychological phenomenon of, of feeling guilt. Mm-hmm. So Deanne and Kay Renee have become incredibly close throughout this process, referring to each other as twisters. How fucking cute is that? And Deanne helped support Kay Renee through all of that guilt. She said, quote, I'm trying to move forward and and look at the positive. She said, I love my kids. I love my husband. I love my life. And you can't look back. It just drives you crazy. Mm -hmm. They've shared notes about each other's lives and revealed special little connections so that they could like get to know each other's parents, you Mm -hmm. know, through their surviving family members. I mean, that is just... Yeah. So fucking sad. Tell me about your childhood and let me fantasize that it was my childhood. Right. Yeah. Or what it, what <laughs> it would have been. Like, like been. What, what could have been. Oh, mm-hmm. God, that would Weird. be so hard. Deanne had grown up loving horses, which was unlikely in her, I guess, accidentally adoptive family because they had no tradition of riding horses. It like, wasn't their thing. Um, and then she learned when she met Kay Renee that, Kay had been brought up on a ranch by her father, who was actually Deanne's biological father, and that he referred to himself as, like, a cowboy. Like, he was super into horses That's and horseback so riding. That's so weird. I have chills. It's yeah. so weird I how much that. is not free will and is nope. just it's in your genetic genes. code, baby. We are yeah. just meat computers. Ugh. We are literally meat computers. Kay Renee, like, cracked her chewing gum like smacked her gum in a very distinctive way. And when she met her biological sisters for the first time, she noticed that they did the exact same thing. I noticed that I do a thing. Like if I have too much saliva in my mouth, I'm starting to do this thing where I like it Mm. in the the exact same way that my grandmother's sister, my great aunt Audie, Woo! Used to do. If you're going to see Sonia do it, you're going to shit your pants. Yeah. Does your mom do it? I don't think so, but <laughs> it like skipped. Yeah, it can. Weird. So weird. As for the hospital that switched them, the only compensation offered for this trauma was some free counseling. Oh. Which the sisters declined. Half off your next birth. Exactly. 
which the sisters declined, <laughs> choosing instead to continue moving forward together and getting to know as much about their biological families as they can to make up for lost time. I mean, on the one hand, I'm like, I think the hospital owed them some compensation beyond that. Yeah. But from a legal standpoint, basically anyone who would have worked there at that time is dead or very much retired. Yeah. There's not really anything that they could really do. There's no way of proving culpability to the point where you could be like, okay, they owe you this amount of money. Right. Exactly, because they can't prove that it was like malicious Statute in any way. Statute of limitations, probably. Statute of limitations. It's two bald little baby girls. They just mixed them up. What would that law? Like what? So what would? Like it's fucked I don't up. Know. But I know. I mean, some, some, no, like some sort of ne- you know not emotional neglect, trauma, but like negligence, or, negligence, yeah, negligence, yeah, accidental negligence or whatever. There's, I mean, we're, we as a country are so litigious that I'm sure there is something. Mm-hmm. And if, like, these sisters really wanted to go there, they probably could. But they both agreed. They were like, well, now we know we have these great lives and now we have each other and we're just, we're just going to fucking move on. Like, yeah, every, what are you going to do? Everyone that was involved is dead. So, yeah. Who, yeah. who are we going to go after? So, yeah, but that yeah, that was like a huge news article in 2009. They were 56 years old and discovered that the, the rumors were true. They were switched yeah. at birth. Isn't that wild? So, so wild. Freaky. Yeah, really freaky and just really fucking sad. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, you're welcome. Wow. That is switch a switcheroo. Well, That's Sonia's definitely switcheroo. mine. I am not worried. Yeah, no. bitch. She is. <laughs> no question. No doubt. I would actually, like, have you committed if you started <laughs> being convinced it wasn't your baby. No, not yeah. possible. Also, I recently reread The Fifth Child. <laughs> Why are you doing this to yourself? I don't know. It's part of the process. I watched so much Call the Midwife, which is just horrific birth story after horrific birth story. My God. Like the <laughs> you just, you need to. I'm digging in. It's your own little mini version of watching Contagion right after yeah. fucking COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, Who I get didn't that. didn't do that? I can relate to that. (laughs) It is good. I might watch it again. All right. Well, thank you to me for selecting this episode. (laughs) Indeed. It was fascinating. It turned out pretty good. I'm glad you uh, retrofitted a topic around Mm -hmm. that case that you found. Yep. (laughs) Here for it. How it always works. The old switcheroo, babe. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Cheers!